HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Thurman Maple Days. Celebrate flowing of sap in the Adirondacks, self-guiding to seven sites for talks, tours, tastes, and old-fashioned friendliness. For more information, visit ThurmanMapleDays.com. Italy. What do you think about? History, architecture, design. Come on. It's food. And that's what we're talking about today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And indeed, Italy is many things to many people, but anyone who knows and loves Italy, of course, thinks about food and loves food. And yes, it's all about the mom-and-pop trattoria and the bowls of pasta on the table, but of course, things change. And even in Italy, after 2,500-plus years... Things do change, and today we're going to talk about some of those changes, or not changes, um, with two people who know quite a bit about it. We have Elizabeth Minkeely, who has written several books on Italy, both on design and on food, and has travel apps, indispensable travel apps, to the major cities, Rome, Florence, Venice, Milano. And she keeps a, up a very popular blog as well, Elizabeth com, And she has a wonderful book that was published last year that's still very hot on the shelves. It's called Eating Rome, Living the Good Life in the Internal City. And that, too, I would say is an indispensable book. And she's here to share her views. She moved to Italy, what, 25, 30, <laughs> Many years ago. Let's be vague. (laughs) (laughs) Many years ago. And yes, she's an American, but she is an adopted Italian for sure. And my second guest is Rolando Baramendi. And Rolando is probably one of the, as has been written, one of the most influential voices in the world of traditional pasta. 
He graduated with a degree in agricultural economics. Okay, right. <laughs> and actually, I think, and I'm going to ask him, probably missed the flavors of Italy, started an importing company. And it is now one of the, the it is the importer of Rusticelli, Rusticelli di Abruzzo. Rusticella d'Abruzzo. And um, a wonderful brand of pasta. And he's a terrific ambassador for that brand as well. As well as a lot of other products, which we will talk to him about shortly. Rolando is the opposite from... Elizabeth, not because he's tall and she's short. No, <laughs> hey, he's, hey, he's a man and she's a woman. No, because Rolando is an Italian who moved to America and didn't look back. I mean, yes, both of you travel back and forth, but so Rolando adopted America as his home country, or you know where he lives majority of the time and where he does his business. Okay, the two of you, here we go. What have you seen? Well, Rolando, you started an import business, so you, you're you trying to import things that remind you and what you know is good about it, Italy. Mm-hmm. But, Elizabeth, you've been there for long enough, and, Rolando, you go back all the time, too. And you're from originally Florence? Well, or? home is in Florence, mm-hmm. and so I spend half of the year in Florence and half of the year in Williamsburg. So not too in far Brooklyn. away from here. In Brooklyn, right, yes. okay. <laughs> um, but what over the have you have you seen the culture of food change over oh, the past 25 incredible. 30 years it's been incredible and and i i have i tell this to everybody every time that i'm doing sales meeting or meeting with my clients and distributors i don't think that you can think of italian food and especially in the artisan uh, level of food this very high quality uh, you know in very in, with a lot of integrity producers Many of these producers wouldn't exist had it not been for the Americans and the hunger of the American people. Hmm. The curiosity that the American people have about food, it's something that I call it the last shining light in the world of food, you know, because they're hungry about everything, not just Italian. They're curious about Vietnam and Mexico and China and France and Germany and everything. I mean, the the, the culinary curiosity of the American people is, is something that, for example, the Italians don't have. Uh, I brought a bottle of olive oil to, you know, tas- from, from Tuscany to a friend in Sicily, and a year later, the bottle was still there and open. Non mi interessa. They don't care, well, literally. Yeah. Be- but, but that has to do with the, the idea of Italy as a country, too, mm. which is something... They're, it's, they're relatively new. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sicily is a far different place from Tuscany. Right. It might as well be a different country. That's right. So, I mean, and they are very true to their own product. Yes. But that's But that's very interesting as well. And, and Elizabeth, you're kind of rolling your eyes. They are. I mean, what what have you noticed as far as Italians well, being true to their of, own product? Been, if we're talking about change, and I liked your introduction, is that you know things do change in Italy, but things always stay the same too. <laughs> so I like seeing the intersection of where things you know change and things uh, stay the same. And I think food is a perfect example of that because, you know. When I first came to Italy in the 70s, early 70s, uh, which is quite a long time ago, certain things existed. There were certain traditions, and today they've changed. But then there's certain threads that have remained the same, and maybe partly because, you know, the Americans and their hunger for certain uh, products have kept artisanal uh, foods alive. But then the Italians themselves, I mean, these things discontinue, you know, sort of under the radar as well. And food is an essential part of that, and food is an essential part of 
the identity, and I hesitate to say Italian identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very much about who they are personally and where you are. And those things have luckily not died out. Um, sometimes they're more available. Sometimes they're less available. Um, but that's sort of the, the thrill of both of our lives is rediscovering them and bringing them uh, to the attention of, of Americans. All right. Well, I know your book very well and, and your apps. When, but tell our listeners, when in your apps, your travel apps, and as I say, they are indispensable travel apps for people who are, you know, looking for well, how am I going to find the, the heart and soul of this city in terms of their food? Um, do you tend to direct them to the more traditional? Well, that's interesting because I am currently struggling with I thought it was a personal change in me, but I find that it's a general shift in how people want to eat. And I started my app, which is called Eat Italy, which is available on iTunes. Um, And I started it with the idea of of providing people with a sort of a cheat sheet to where to eat in Mm -hmm. cities. It's not exhaustive. And it's very much based on my personal preference. And... But I always think that, well, I should be also covering not just the local trattoria, but also innovative and uh, maybe starred cuisine as well. Lately, I think that I feel less comfortable in those settings for some reason, and I don't know if that's a a reflection of the general shift in the way people are are eating or in the way that people want to discover the culture of Italy through food. And I think that there's really interesting new cooking going on at a high level. I think there's still traditional cooking going on at, you know, the corner trattoria, which Mm -hmm. may or may not have great food, but has great ambiance. And then there's what has been fantastic in the last, say, four years has been this new kind of cooking, which is a younger Italian generation rediscovering these old trattorias, rediscovering things like the rustica la pasta or or whatever it is that's local and creating something that's accessible, comfortable, that has the ambience of the old trattoria, but has the innovative cooking techniques maybe of the newer, newer, higher level chefs. And it's something completely new and exciting. And I, for instance, I was in Torino last week writing Eat Torino. And there's this just this whole new generation of Italians that are sort of rediscovering their own heritage through having traveled abroad and coming back, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. truly exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. And delicious. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, it's all good, right? <laughs> but Rolando, you have um, an interesting, a different take on it too, I would imagine, in that tell us about Manacaretti and your company. You, you're actually trying to keep a lot of these older flavors or bring them to America and, and keep them fresh in people's minds. Tell me well, about that. You know, I mean, over the 25 years of Manicaretti, I've had a, the chance of seeing a lot of changes happen to the yeah. Italian table or the interpretation of the Italian table in, in this country, especially. Um, I would like to bring one example is look what happened to balsamic vinegar. Right? That's right. right. Um, when I started Manicaretti, I would go to a little town right outside of Modena, Nonantola, and buy these very old 100-year-old balsamic vinegars that I would bring in my suitcase. I will declare them in customs. They didn't even know what it was. And I would sell them, hand sell them to all the top chefs, you know, around uh, San Francisco. And it was used with, with, you know, like such care and attention. And then they took the balsamic vinegar to the next level. Unfortunately, then it went the wrong way. Right. They started to, <laughs> you know, they came up with this uh, uh, salad balsamic. And, and then it started to be poor in salads. And then it came out the white balsamic. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some... 
different feelings about what happens. You know, when, it, <laughs> when you, you bring you create a monster, you yeah, create right. a monster. But but you but as I said, I think it's all good because mm-hmm. you just use it for different purposes. Yes, yes. And I still spoon out my very special non mm-hmm. you know, the, um, balsamico. But mm-hmm. yes, I'll use the balsamico salad vinegars for all kinds of things. You know, but, it's it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, what I think is very interesting is that in many ways, the American chefs have contributed a lot to the, to the, to the great expansion of many of these products, even within Italy, because, for example, friends of mine in Tuscany, they never even knew about balsamic vinegar. You know? hmm. I mean, they only use red wine vinegar in their salads. Now everybody has balsamic vinegars on the restaurants. So, in Italy, yeah. In so, Italy. That, yeah. so, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's certain products that I think you might have a little issue of saying, did they help or did it go backwards or, or get worse? I don't well, know. <laughs> tell our listeners what, what manicaretti actually means. Manicaretti what... is an old Italian word that it, it's sort of like saying little treats or you're going to the kitchen to make something very delicious and it's a very old style word but it's um, it was something that it, it's very sort of like chic and elegant as well to, to use that word but nobody uses it anymore uh, but everybody understands what it means so what are the type of products that you that you uh, we import bring, so my whole focus with Manicaretti has always been to I, I firmly believe that if you have a well stocked pantry you, you're very close to having a very nice Italian meal. So I, I think that having a well-stocked pantry is the secret to a great Italian meal. So I bring pasta, olive oils, all from small estates, uh, vinegars, uh, all the basics such as you know uh, capers and olives and anchovies and, and strange things like colatura, you know, the anchuga. That's not so strange. Yeah, so, well, no. not anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and botarga, all these sort of... And, and there's a lot so of stuff that so I So basically non-perishable. Non-perishable, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. Things that you can have, a, and you should have a lot of it, and then the only thing you do is go to the store and buy protein, fruit and vegetables and, and, and dairy, and then you have your meal ready. Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's an old book, and I wish it were back in print. Um, Elizabeth Luard wrote, uh, uh, what was it called? The Well-Stocked Larder. Well-stocked larder. And, but, and somebody else has recently done either a blog or a book on <clears throat> pantry cooking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a snowstorm comes and people yeah. run out to the store. You yeah. I mean, most people don't have to really run out to the store. If you look in your pantry, if you have a well-stocked pantry. All you need are anchovies. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have some dried pasta. It's, it's, <laughs> the, mag- it's the magic ingredient. Sure right. right. Well, th- but let's talk about um, Italy specifically and, and the culture and the people um, because certainly well as you mentioned already a lot of some of the things that change you're talking about people who are, haven't accepted some of these brands within Italy themselves mm-hmm. but what about then in the, in the outside culture when people certainly coffee the coffee culture is something that has not changed, right? Well, I don't know if you read the New York Times the other day, but supposedly Starbucks is coming to Milan. Yes, I read but, it. Which just gets repeated every few years. Um, but coffee culture, uh, has it changed? No, it hasn't. And which, well, it, but that said, I mean, you see the culture that caters now to tourism. And that's something you have to take into consideration when you're talking about food in Italy. Uh, because tourism is so explosively big now in Italy and getting bigger and bigger and bigger that a lot of the new things, I mean, I talked about the positive new things that are happening in food culture, but I haven't talked about the negative. Negative. And, you know, a lot of it is aimed towards people who are coming to Italy and they should be made comfortable. So I think a lot of, we're talking about 
coffee culture, some of the new things like a walk away, a walkie cup, which they call right. it. Right, as, I, as I have my cup well, here, so that you cater- don't see that that much. You do now. No, you do. Now you do. Ah. you do. You do in Rome and Venice and Florence. And at the Autogrill. The Auto at the, at the Auto right. So yeah. is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm, I'm of the opinion it's a thing. And, you know, maybe Italians aren't going to adopt it. And if somebody American feels more comfortable getting their coffee to take out, you know, all power to them. So things do change. And even coffee culture, which within the Italian, you know, the, no Italian would get a takeout coffee. That does not change. There are certain changes that, you know, Italy Italy changes and Italy remains yeah. the same. Well, and it sounds like you embrace all those changes. What are you going to do? You can't, you can't stop it, right? Tell me, think of something that, has changed a lot now. Something I will I will direct to you, Elizabeth, because you have written about it and and I have seen it firsthand. And that is the cocktail culture, the cocktail hour. Well, yeah. When I first uh, moved, well, when I started moving, when I was in, living in Rome, and say the about twenty years ago, it was very difficult to get a cocktail that wasn't a Campari soda, you know, anywhere. And, and if you asked for a, mar- a martini, you know, you got a, a vermouth, which was, <laughs> you know, the brand name. And uh, that's changed a lot now. And that also is a, a direct reflection of the same changes that are going on with this younger generation that are opening new, innovative, uh, creative restaurants. They also have come, you know, they've gone to London, they've gone to New York, they've gone right. to San Francisco, and they're coming back. And along with craft beer and craft brewery, they are emulating and going beyond what's going on in the States and, and England, and but using, again, going back to the original ingredients, you know, to the vermouths from Torino and Milano, to the grappas, you know, from, from Friuli, and using them and mixing them, and it's a really exciting time for, mm. for cocktails. So again, Rolando goes back to what you said, it was, you know... Whether Well, Elizabeth, you say it's because we're a, a small world now and everyone travels mm-hmm. and you bring these experiences back. But you said the curiosity and for new things and of the Americans and driving uh, a lot of the changes. Driving. The good and the bad. I mean, Starbucks, right? <laughs> and McDonald's. And, um, and the, the whole cocktail hour culture of the people spill, you know, hold even if it's just a glass of wine. That's what I found so unusual. People spilling out onto the streets outside of a, a wine bar. Yeah. And just meeting up with friends or hoping to meet up with a friend and enjoying a glass of wine. There's not enough room inside the wine bar. Talk about that a little bit. I, you know, I, I find that I saw the whole change as well because, you know, all these years in, in Italy. But it was this, this uh, sort of thing that happened. It started basically, I saw it happening first in Venice like about five years ago with, with the Aperol Spritz the and, then the, and, the, and the Aperitivo Rinforzato, which is this great tradition that is happening everywhere right now that you basically pay a little bit more, right, for the glass of wine, let's say, instead of six euros, you pay 10 euros, but then you have these great buffets of Beautiful buffets, nibbles yeah. of everything, you know, all types of little bruschette and pizza and finger foods of all kinds and extremely generous so much that you can actually make it a dinner and, and there's a lot right? of people who, who actually go and <laughs> load up for and that becomes a dinner and it's uh, yeah it started in Venice and then it Venice spread to Milan spread to and Milan. now it's everywhere Torino is full of it full of it but it it was funny it's the first time that I actually felt that it was in Venice with the Aperol Spritz you know <laughs> that, that really which used changed. to be very, very you could only get a spritz in Venice, yeah. and now they're no, which everywhere. Seems odd. Now they're everywhere. All over. Yeah. In fact, I, somebody wasn't even listening to me carefully, and, and I, I, I did want my Campari and soda because I happen to love Campari. And he said, "Oh, you want a spritz?" And so a spritz, a spritz. And so I got an Aperol, 
and soda. And I didn't, and that's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to listen to me. He's like, oh, she doesn't know what she wants. <laughs> but we have to pay homage to Count de Grony, though, huh? He was the first one to invent a cocktail and kept it alive at Cafe Giacosa on Via Tornaboni. So oh, he are. was, what, in the 70s, was that? He was doing the, the it was basically a Campari Soda. No, it was splash, much, it was earlier than that. With a splash of, earlier, yeah. of, of gin. Of, gin. Of, oh, gin. Oh, gin, gin, right. gin, gin. Oh, yeah. And then when did they start adding the sweet vermouth for the No, no, the it was always, Negroni, it was always sweet it? vermouth and Campari. And then and he then wanted his to have a little kick. He wanted to reinforce but but that's sort of a way that you see that Italians are you know maybe they won't they don't want that bottle of olive oil but but the younger generation is open to these new traditions I think and and that has to do partly with slow food who has uh, made a lot of these really local uh, artisanal products available throughout Italy, which they weren't before. Mm-hmm. And also the beer culture. Think what happened to beer. I mean, beer, the artisanal beer sector of Italy has gone crazy. I mean, there's local beers made of all these different types of grains, and, and, and it's, it's just beautiful. And, yeah. and when you see the packaging, it's even better. Talk about the talent <laughs> design. of Italian design, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Well, in that, and that kind of um, brings me to an, another... Um, observation and that is we're talking about a lot of these uh, you know the the wine bars the the more relaxed kind of the relaxed social encounters is that all kind of part of the blue jean and sneaker revolution in a way do you think that it's Mm. I, i see that there's less of a formal Oh, but don't, but don't don't confuse lack of formality with lack of style. Oh no! Oh, no, <laughs> because, absolutely because, never. Because one person's jeans is not another person's jeans. Uh, so. They cost right. three hundred euros. Some right. of those jeans. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely right. right. No, but I think it has to do with no, no. I think the aperitivo. It, it's always been a. Um, a way of just meeting up with people. It has less to do with the alcohol mm-hmm. and more to do with the social aspect. Yeah, so while things have changed and you have these aperitivi uh, rinforzate and and the aperol spirits, whatever. But there was always there were always the old men, you know, in the in the the local club sitting around a, a glass of wine for three hours socializing. Right. It's a social aspect of it, which whether you're wearing jeans or whether you're wearing overalls or whether you're wearing a suit, you know, it. I don't think it has to do with that. I think it has to do with a connecting. In a way that's always existed in Italy. Yeah. All right. Time. Time. Take time for everything. Exactly. Oh. Sit yeah. down. Sit have down. your coffee. Right. Uh. right. Well, we're going to talk more about that when we come back from a short break. I can't wait to hear more of your <laughs> observations when we come back. Today's program was brought to you by Thurman Maple Days. Celebrate flowing of sap in the Adirondacks, self-guiding to seven sites for talks, tours, tastes, and old-fashioned friendliness. Maple syrup lovers unite. How was maple syrup made 100 years ago? What are the current practices? What are sugar shacks? Visit Thurman County and go on the maple syrup tour of a lifetime for three glorious weekends to celebrate the start of spring and the end of cabin fever. ThurmanMapleDays.com has all the information you need. 
Watch sap being gathered and boiled and see how a certified tree farm makes maximum use of the wood from maple and other trees. Enjoy a whole day of fun activities, demonstrations, sampling, and shopping for delectable goodies, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day. Like pancakes? Of course you like pancakes. Pancake breakfast at Valley Road Maple Farm is available each day, beginning at 9 a.m. and running until 1 p.m., so you won't have to miss a minute of tour time. If you can already taste the maple syrup, visit ThurmanMapleDays.com to find out more. Okay, we are back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Elizabeth Minkili and Rolando Baramendi, and we're talking about the changing food culture in Italy. And uh, Rolando, I said, okay, what do you want to talk about next? All right. And you said the price of a dish of pasta. Things change, right? Do lots. Uh, it's, you know, uh, last night we were having dinner at Sarah Jenkins Porcena in honor of Elizabeth and her book. And uh, this was one of the conversations with one of my guests that, you know, she was very shocked at the fact that she had been for lunch and she's from Florence at a restaurant and she had to pay $24 for a dish of pasta. <laughs> and I explained to her, you know, the reason why they need to charge that price, these restaurants, is because um, many people will come to the to the restaurant and uh, just order that one dish. They're, they're not like in Italy that they will have an antipasto, a primo, or a, or a secondo, you know, and so... They make it that they they're make paying that for the they're, table. They're right. paying yeah. for the table, so right. restaurants need to charge that kind of a money, and you know, in order to make their numbers work. Um, yeah. You come to to Florence or to Rome, and most of the places you will find are eight to twelve euros, right, for a primo, and the portion is actually quite smaller. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's that's one of the things that I'm still having a hard time dealing between, you know, for trying to explain to my customers what is the right amount of pasta that you should put on a dish and how to do the math in order well, to do that. But the math in America is so different here because I, I was in North Carolina <laughs> recently and I was talking about this because I could never finish anything on my plate. And it was more expensive, whatever we're having, whether it was pasta or grits or you know fried okra, whatever <laughs> it was, huge. And we would always take home something. And, and everybody I talked to said, well, that's what you're paying for. You're actually sitting down and you're paying the for real two estate. meals. You're yeah. paying for the well, real no, you're paying for two meals because two meals. you take home half of, half of it, and which is something that blew my mind because that's certainly not how you pay for things <laughs> no. in in Italy. But getting back to the price of pasta in Italy, you know, I remember my sisters and I were just talking about the fact that we remember when you know a plate of pasta was three hundred, you know, lira. lira. It was yeah. it was right. it was nothing, and it's a poor person's food. It fills you up. Where all of a sudden you get here, and it's yeah, it's. Twenty-eight dollars for a plate of pasta. And also, you know, I always think is the the nice thing about eating a bowl of pasta in Italy is that usually is one shape of pasta, right? So it's spaghetti with this and that, or basically maybe two things or three things. I mean, rarely you see, you know, very complicated combinations. But to go to Italian restaurants sometimes here. And you see that a dish of pasta, it takes three lines of a menu. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I just find it to be crowded food, and it doesn't really respect the tradition of, you know. That's, and and so that's, that's that where would, I have the issue sometimes. Right. I will judge what I'll order when I see the mm-hmm. dish go by. <laughs> and I said, mm, there are far too many ingredients in that bowl of pasta. And I know I'm not going to get no. that one. It, it's true. And not only that, too, but the... Um, 
talk about with something to talk about here with your being the uh, the importer of Rusticella da Bruzzo. Well, I think and, that you well, know ingredients, special ingredients for special shapes. Well, what we're talking about, what we talk about constantly, the, the two of us is trying to explain to people. Uh, we're, we're talking about the cost of ingredients, and people want to know, well, why should I pay, you know, twenty dollars for a bottle of olive oil when I can go, you know, to I don't know if I'm supposed to mention brand names, but a big, <laughs> a big natural food grocery store that we all know and pay <laughs> and pay. Eight, and pay seven dollars a bottle for what seems to be, you know, pure olive oil, and and that's my job as a writer and writing about um, Italian food to explain the true cost of these things. And there's no way in the world that a bottle of true olive oil will cost anything less than say eighteen dollars a bottle. And people don't want to hear that. And but that is certainly our. But our I saw that battle. happening. You know, when I started Manicaretti, you know, in the eighties in San Francisco. I mean, you couldn't find good olive oil at that time. There was no California olive oil industry yet. And so I would go to visit all these great chefs and great restaurants. And, and, you know, they were growing wonderful vegetables and great, you know, little salads and, you know, beautiful little greens and all that kind of stuff. But they were putting olio sasso on it. Mm. You know, I mean, it was. And so when all of a sudden we started to taste with them the unfiltered oils, like the one that I brought you today, you know, from Capezzana, I mean, then they started to taste the difference. And I think that that's what really made the, my little company. And that's why I love, you know, so much the American people is because the American people can really taste the difference and they don't have a bias, you mm -hmm. know. And if it tastes good and if it tastes better, they'll immediately incorporate it into their pantry and take it as one of their important staples and, and carry on, you know. And then that sort of like it felt that the unfiltered oil and the extra virgin olive oil was at one point and then it sort of like kept on growing and growing. And now we're shipping enormous amounts of really good extra virgin olive oil made the real good way. And once people taste it, then they, then get, they get the it. whole price. Yeah. Right. It's getting it in their yeah. mouth. That's actually. the biggest challenge right. I have is, you know, is, is just getting people to try it. And that's why I travel around the country, you know, doing cooking demonstrations and, and tastings and cooking with people all the time because that's the best way to get them to taste the difference. Well, let's talk further about olive oil. And the there are, you know, it's been in the news so much lately um, mm. and about the adulterations of the olive oil. And then, of course, there's the... There's the um, the consortium of the Tuscan oil producers, mm -hmm. the Etruscan mm -hmm. the, uh, consortium. What what are some of the problems that's that are going on in the industry? I just I spent last week basically on the phone with each one of my oil producers, getting because all of a sudden after the sixty minutes episode and the articles in the New York Times and all the press that Italy is getting and and mind you, I find that. It gets me angry a little bit because I say, why don't they talk about the Spanish and the Greeks and yeah, the French? Yeah. You know, I mean, why are they sing you know they're singling out the Italians all the time? So I'm not very you know very happy about that. But uh, I spend the whole. I mean, all of a sudden, the biggest retailers that we work around the country they demand now from us a letter of authenticity. <laughs> so I had to explain to them, you know, that what we needed to get in writing and all the certificates and and I said 
you know, I, I needed to get on the phone with them and talk to them about it because it, if I if I would have sent a letter or an email <laughs> requesting that kind of information, they would have told me to go, <laughs> yeah, to, you know where, yeah. right? And they, that I think that policing them to a certain degree is a good thing, but also we need to make them our partners. And I think that working with them, and especially with a high quality people, it's extremely necessary that we work with them and keep them alive because otherwise we're just giving out, you know, the, the business to the industrial agribusness and that's it. And I think, I think it comes back to also knowing where your food comes from. It's no different than meat. It's no different than eggs. And what I always tell people, you know, they say, well, how can we tell a good olive oil from a bad olive oil? And I said, well, sometimes you're not going to be able to. That's why you have to trust an expert. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's 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 Orlando, but there's a, there's other people too that mm-hmm. import, and they actually go. They're on the ground. They're in Italy. They're talking there. They're walking through the groves, and you can. For me, you know, I really that's the only olive oil I trust. And it's it's the same way as any other product that you're eating. You have mm-hmm. to really do your research and That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I know that a lot of uh, the Italian Trade Commission is very concerned with products n- yes, olive oil and other products being produced perhaps in here in America and being called uh, Parmesan cheese. Well, you can't call it pa- San Marzano you know. tomatoes. Well, San Marzano, too, right, right. Grown in California. You know, just like French, uh, France was very clear on calling sparkling wine in you know the method yeah. of champagne, but yeah. you can't call it champagne. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Italy, but that is, has but that has to do more with American laws than anything that Italy's doing. I mean, Italy. Italy well, Italy has Italy has needs support. The Italy, Italy needs, support. needs support, and then at the, at the Italian side, you know, there are these laws that favor also in, sometimes industrial brands mm-hmm. as well, and and then every country you know has different laws, even though it's supposedly we're the European Union. So it's a very very complicated issue, and it keeps coming back. Back to specific items mm-hmm. and specific sources, at least for me. And um, and and I don't know. Maybe you have a different uh, idea about it. But I always I, I always feel better pointing people in the direction of something more specific than something generic. And and you know my recipes that I write on my blog are so incredibly simple. Sometimes you know that if the main ingredient ingredients are olive oil and a can of tomatoes, you know if you go to the corner deli and just get what's there. It's just, sorry, not going to taste taste. the same. So if you're committed to to actually making my food and, and, and supporting something that's Italian, I will tell you where to get the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of the way to keep it all alive. And so many great writers, um, food writers, uh, espouse the same thing. It, you start with great ingredients and you will get a good final product. Right? And uh, the... Some of the things that you you mentioned the price oh, price of the the plate of pasta, and, and and Elizabeth you said you know there's so much food that you got it used to be well and it is still pretty much you know the the higher cost of the restaurant the smaller the portion right <laughs> unless you're traveling down very south. French right <laughs> unless you're traveling down south and then as you mentioned you know and then you get or, or across the Midwest and you get these huge platters of food and more than you would want um, that. It, when people cook in the home, has you mentioned earlier, Rolando, that a lot of that, or no, maybe Elizabeth, whichever, not a lot has changed. People still like to to make the traditional dishes. Um, I would say for, I mean, yeah, people are, are people are becoming more experimental. Mostly, I think when they go out, but if people like, yeah, I mean, I think certain cookbooks do well in Italy, uh, but it's hard to get ingredients still. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about cooking Asian food or Mexican food, you just can't get those ingredients yet. That's mm-hmm. changing. 
And I can see it changing, but it's not quite there yet. I actually have a funny perspective on that one because I, you know, I have 38 suppliers in Italy and I work with a lot of wineries as well. I've worked in the wine industry for a while as a sort of marketing, you know, advisor for the U.S. And uh, I find them that they always eat the same thing every time they have invited <laughs> in their house, you know, they drink their own wines, even when they go out to eat, no, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, true. they're very... I, I, I don't think that when it comes to but that's culinary curiosity, that doesn't, that doesn't exist so much, at, but at it's least changing. with the people that but, I know. But there, I think with a younger generation, it is changing. Yeah. And I see that, uh, for instance, my daughter Sophie's generation, yeah. they are willing to go, you know, drive extra, you know, to go taste that sort of new thing, whether it's off a food truck or whether it's, you know, from a new uh, Asian restaurant. They're willing to do that in, mm. in a way that, Maybe your importers, who are a certain generation, in the middle, in the middle of, of I won't mention any region specifically, uh, are not. It's not yeah. accessible to them, and, and, and they're not interested yeah, in it. Sure. Uh, well, you brought up food trucks, and that's something I wanted to talk about. Like street food, has that? How have you seen any changes that street food is coming more to Italy? I mean, Tavola Calda has always huge, been huge. Huge changes yeah. in the last say two years even, mm -hmm. that this new generation... So it's very expensive, very uh, risky to open a restaurant. But it, And also it takes... It's very bureaucratic mm -hmm. to open a restaurant, which means you have to get certain licenses to serve food. So the way the younger generation has gotten around it is that they will have a permit to open a food store, and they will serve food, but you have to take it and sit down with it with yourself. And street food is perfect for that. So you see this new, like I was in um, Torino again, uh, and there's all these places that are selling farinata, which is a chickpea flat pancake right. and that didn't exist before and this is you know and these are people who are you know so for farinata you buy the cornmeal you have the water you have the oven and you're ready to go and this is a way for a younger generation to break into the restaurant in quote scene uh without the risk and street food is the way that they're getting into it so it's a really exciting time and, and what about food but not food trucks necessarily they're just small well, florence for stands. example has a really traditional way of you know eating the the tripe sandwiches you know the tripayo was always and, and little even the fratellini you know when you basically there it's like a closet in the street where you go and have a panino and a glass of Chianti and stand on the sidewalk. In Palermo. And so, so, yeah, so there, uh, even pizza was a yeah, street food. Yeah. Right. So, but, but trucks themselves is an mm. urban phenomenon mm. that's happening, for the most part, just in Rome so far, and, and in a very sort of weird uh, way where, you know, there's one day when they all come. Well, the and ultimate so, so, truck is the porchetta, you know, yeah, sandwich yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. You know, that every, every and it used to only be for the holidays, right? Yeah, Especially in August. In, yeah. but, it, but it's happening. It's slowly. It's coming. Yeah. I think yeah. I see it coming. Yeah. Oh, interesting. The Tavola Calda. That, I mean, that it was an Italian institution and yeah. still is. Not so much, but coming back in, in this new way I, mm -hmm. I, because of these regulations to uh -huh. get around the lack of a restaurant permit. Now people find that if they, you know, cook the food off-site, come keep it warm, and then you serve it like that. So it, it. It, it, it was totally, if you asked me 10 years ago, there were no more tavola caldas. Mm -hmm. Now I've seen a resurgence in them and serving better food. And unfortunately, I think also, you know, the economic crisis that we've been under, you know, for the last, you know, four to five years, I mean, has also made that the people don't have that luxury to have, you know, those long lunches as, mm -hmm. as before. And so people are in a hurry right now as well. And the younger people are even more of a hurry. Mm -hmm. 
And so a lunch tavola calda, you see it a lot more, a lot and you more. see much better quality food in it, whereas before it wasn't. Now that chicken, right. now, potatoes and now it's a little bit better, and it's being constantly you know, prepared and brought out, and so you're eating almost like in a in a buffet, more like well, the a really, the really great one now in mm. Rome is Mordevai, mm. which is a very tiny, uh, basically a tavola calda within the testaccio market. Mm-hmm. So the food is coming from the market, so some of the best meats and vegetables prepared, and then he's keeping them there, and you can either have them on a plate or in a, in a sandwich. And it's, it's the perfect example of this new kind of reinvented tavola calda oh. slash street food. Interesting. Love it. Okay, I'm ready to go book my flight, and here we are. Right? <laughs> well, well, we're waiting for you. <laughs> you know, i got I got to get that fixed every year, you know, so it's, it's getting Please. to be that time. Right. We'll be waiting for you. Okay. So I, what I wanted to close with, um, anything that you, that you feel is um, a trend that you see possibly coming? Coming well, you to mentioned, America you mentioned coming, to coming to Italy. Oh, well, it could be coming from Orlando's perspective, maybe <laughs> coming to America. You know, But uh, you already mentioned the, the street food base. Well, I just think this whole idea of what the younger generation is doing now, it's, I, I can't tell you what's coming. Yeah. That is the exciting part, where for so many years everything was you know stagnant and, and you know the same waiters I knew when I was 12 were still there <laughs> at the same restaurants. And in the last five years it's exploded, and, that's, and, and who knows where it's going. I, I can't tell you, which is the exciting thing. I'm actually hoping that this whole carb craze will come to an end somehow, and <laughs> and, and just people. Some of, will, us, some of us never embraced it. <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's just crazy. I don't. I, I think that eating a little bit of everything in moderation is the way to go. And, and I think that you know I don't need spaghetti every day, but you know I eat it maybe once a week, and that's great. But I think that you know if if we try to be more authentic about what we eat and more, you know, trying to understand, like Elizabeth said, about where is our food coming from and how is it made and trying to keep it simple. That's that I'm hoping all the time whenever I speak with chefs and clients to just say, use this, but just don't overdo it. Just keep it simple. Use, you, know, use, you don't have to make enormous portions and put too much stuff on it because then you're defeating the purpose of using something really good, and, and, and of high quality. Right. Excellent so, message. Uh, I, I hope that people will just try to uncomplicate food as, as, as part of the future. Wonderful message from both of you. Thank you so much, Rolando Baramendi and Elizabeth Minkili. Thanks so much for sharing your insights and, and your experiences. And thanks for joining me on Thank you. A Taste Thank you of the for past. having us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.